Well, I absolutely love this series that we're in, but I've got to tell you, it's probably garnered the most mixed reviews of any series I've ever done. I mean, I get people each week just telling me, wow, that was impactful, and then I get a few telling me, you know, I'm really having a hard time getting into these messages. Well, we're talking about Wonder Women from the Bible. This is the Wonder Woman series. We're going to be moving to the Teen Titans in August, looking at young people in the Bible that did incredible things for God. But I really am enjoying lifting up these examples of women who had such great faith. Ladies, please look at me, even if you're younger, even if you're a child and you're a girl, just listen to me, please. This culture is stripping you of your biblical femininity. This is a series that's trying to help you see what it should look like. But don't swallow this world's version and definition of what a woman is. She's not someone stronger than everybody else that has to put them underneath her heels. She's not someone weaker than everybody else. She is equal to men. She has great, great worth in God's eyes. And she does amazing things, the woman of God, for the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping that this series is bringing that out. So here's what we're going to do today. It's kind of what we've been doing in each of these sermons. I want you to do something. You ready? If you're not comfortable with this, I get it. Don't do it. But if you are comfortable, just close your eyes for a second. Let me take you on a little bit of an imagination. I want you to imagine you're on a beach. You may have done what I'm about to tell you, or you may never have done it, but you've seen it done, whether it's in live action or in a movie. I want you to imagine you are walking along the beach and you have a metal detector in your hands. You got the sound of the surf crashing, you got the smells, you've got the seagulls. But what you're really listening for is that beep. And the very moment you turned that on, there became in your self, in your heart, an anticipation. You were waiting for that beep to go off. That's the whole point of walking along a beach with a metal detector in your hand. Now, I want you to open your eyes for a moment, and I want to tell you that is honestly, precisely what we're going to be doing in this message. We are just going to walk along Judges chapter 4. And it's going to beep four times. It's going to beep probably more than that for you, but I'm going to show you four of the beeps that went off for me when I was studying this this last week, and I'm bringing my beeps to you. And you can have lots of other things that come to the surface for you, but I'm going to tell you that Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5 contain a story so incredible. Now look at me for a moment. It's so incredible that it had to be told twice. Chapter 4 is prose or storytelling or narrative. And then chapter 5 is poetry. It's a song. And the song just repeats with a little bit more detail what chapter 4 had already said. This is a story so incredible that the Bible tells it twice. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to meet a Wonder Woman by the name of Deborah, and I'm going to get right to it. i got to get you to chapter 2 first. So if you can open your Bibles, it's page 203 if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew, 203. It's Judges chapter 4 if you have your own Bible with you. Our Wonder Woman, as you are turning, let me just tell you a little bit. She lived in a 
lived at a time when Israel was just repeatedly straying. Now, are you hearing yourself already? I mean, do you go up and down in your spiritual walk? I mean, Israel is a macrocosm of what each of us does. They were straying, Israel was, from their God. They would be repenting, and he would deliver them, and then they would stray away from them, and he would discipline them. And the way that God disciplined his people was to raise up a nation that was stronger than them, to come against them, to subjugate them, to put them into captivity until they were so miserable that they would cry out to God. Over and over, the book of Judges shows us this pattern. And really, you can superinflate over it. It's the same pattern of every one of us. And maturity stabilizes that. When you start to mature in Christ, those ebbs and flows, those cycles of hot and cold for God, they begin to stabilize. The boat begins to steady, and you begin to walk with the Lord more and more faithfully. Well, in chapter 2, verse 16, when Israel would stray from God, then the Lord raised up judges and who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So the book of Judges, think of Judge Dredd from the movie. Well, it's a little maybe not quite like that, but think of all of these judges. These were individuals that God rose up that were just like you and I. These are like normal people, almost every one of them. They're, they're people that could have been sitting in these pews or could have been standing on this platform, and God raises them up and does an incredible thing through them. But look at chapter 4, and look where we find ourselves. It's a story begins. And the people of Israel, again, verse 1, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So that judge dies, Ehud, and as soon as the judge is off the scene, here comes, like a child when the parents aren't watching, here comes some mischievous, well, it's way worse than that, sinful behavior. They strayed away from God. So God, verse 2, brings the Canaanites against Israel, and they're, they're under a very powerful king by the name of Jabin. He's a coalition king meaning he has other lesser kings that are under him. He's the highest Canaanite ruler, but he has a very powerful general, a commander-in-chief. His name is Sisera. And if you get to verse 3, you begin to see a little bit more of the powerful reign of Jabin. He has 900 chariots of iron, which were the Abram's tanks of the ancient world. And he oppressed, verse 3, the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. That word cruelly means mightily. So Israel has fallen into the strong grip of Jabin. They cannot break it. They're going down. It's cycling worse and worse. And they're going to cry out for misery to the Lord. They're caught in the grip of a force that is too strong for them. Now, let's get ourselves on this for a moment. How many of you, and again, this is rhetorical, meaning you just listen to this and you think through it. You don't need to respond physically. How many of us have a sin pattern in our lives that we cannot fully vanquish? 
I mean, listen, it doesn't matter how holy you look. It doesn't matter how holy I look. I'm the lead pastor of this church. There are struggles that I have just like there's struggles that you have. So how many of us are in a grip of a sin? You hate it. Sometimes you go weeks, months in victory, but then it seems like sooner or later it's coming back to you again and you fall under it. See, this is the gospel story in the book of Judges, and you see this over and over. Israel is in the grip of a power too strong for them to break. That's what Jabin represents. See, he had overcome, Jabin did, the six northern tribes. Remember, there's 12 tribes in Israel. The six northern ones he had already overcome. And the other tribes, by the way, did nothing to help. I mean, think of that. You're in a strong grip of sin personally, and maybe even the one that you're married to or the one that is your best friend, are they doing anything to help you? Well, in Israel, the lower southern six tribes did nothing to help them. They weren't willing to lift a finger. And they're in this situation because they disobeyed God, and they failed, by the way, originally to expel the enemy in their land. Now, I don't know if you're hearing this, but this is gospel language. When you got saved, when the Lord saved you, Christian brother and sister, he began a war against sin, and if you allow any of it to lodge in your hearts, if you're saying, well, I got rid of this, I overcame that, well, this one, not yet, but I'm okay, this is a lesser one. Listen, that little one, that lesser one that you think is okay, will eventually rise up in power and dominate you. The entire gospel message is about this, the redeemed being freed from sin, being freed for God, and on a lifelong journey to be able to vanquish the the, the sin that plagues everybody. Well, you've got Israel. They expelled some of the people in the land, just like God had commanded them. But they had some groups that they said, you know what? They're either too strong for us or, you know what? We're busy getting our lives established. We'll deal with them later. They came back to dominate Israel. See, this is our journey. For if you live according to the flesh, Romans 8, 13, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death a deed to the body, you will live. That's not a once for all put to death. You must do this regularly. I must do this daily. We have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And if we don't, those, that those flesh desires grow in power until they dominate us. And we find ourselves right back in bondage where we were before. See, the battle's never over. Any sin that remains will spread, will rise up, will oppress you, will oppress me. See, the book of Judges is a training guide. That's how you ought to be seeing it. You ought to be reading it. It's an incredibly good training guide for how to fight against sin and win. Well, Israel, things had become very, very bleak for them under Jabin. We learn more of it. You got to get to chapter 5. Let me tease out a little bit for you. I'm going to unpack a little bit more of just how bad things had gotten for Israel. Some of this you're going to understand very, very personally. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. The people were afraid to travel. The roadways were abandoned. They didn't want to leave their home. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to go visit. They didn't want to go on the trade routes because Jabin was too strong. He was going to attack them. 
The, the, the villages, verse 7, were deserted. The fear of the Canaanites was just overpowering. There was no joy. There was no festivity. There was no life. Look at verse 8. Israel was disarmed. Something that's going to be done again by the Philistines when the Philistines would gain the upper hand over Israel. That's, by the way, that's one of the things that the devil wants to do to you. It's what all dictatorial, not, maybe not all, but it's what most dictators will do. They want to disarm the people. The devil wants to disarm you. He wants you to not understand you've got a sword of the Spirit. It's a mighty weapon. It is built on truth, and it can dispel any lie, any strategy that the devil throws at you. He wants to disarm you. He wants you out of the Word of God. He wants you thinking, well, it's not really relevant today. It's really not very powerful. I tried reading it. It didn't do anything for me. That's disarmament. That's what the Jabin devil does to the Christian. Look at what it says later in that chapter 5. Israel might have been able to muster 40,000 soldiers, but they would have to fight unarmed. There was no shield. They had no swords, no spears. That's not very appealing military conquest to go against 900 chariots with no weaponry. See, all the might seemed to be on the side of the Canaanites and none on the side of Israel. And what a picture again of the gospel. What a picture of the condition of every single sinner before Jesus. Judges chapter 4, 3 says this, or rather Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the gospel all through the judge, book of Judges. They are weak they have no power, they are disarmed, they have no joy, and the gospel's going to meet them just like it met us. Now look at verse 3, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Now I want to tell you something, I think for most of you, you know this, but when you are most miserable in life, the potential for your greatest experiences is around the corner. Do you understand that your misery is allowed by God to turn you to him? I mean, honestly, let's just be real. None of us, I, don't, I really don't think there's an exception. If you're an exception, awesome. I don't think there really are any, to be honest with you. None of us really grow. None of us really, really grow when times are super easy in life. It's when there's difficulty. It's when we realize, once again, I don't have in my life the power to do this. I've got to appeal to someone greater than me, and that one greater than me is Jesus. So those times of misery, listen, they are horrible. They are difficult. If you're in one right now, then you understand what I'm talking about. This is your opportunity. I would probably tell you it is God-ordained, whether it came from his hand or he allowed it, it is God-ordained to get you to turn to him because your greatest experience is around the corner. Now catch your breath for a moment. I'll give you a little bit of a context, a little bit of a background. Let me remind you, Israel had turned away from God. They were running after false gods. God let them experience a strong nation that would come against them. 
And by the way, every idol that you ever worship, every idol that I ever worship, it's going to end up overpowering you. It's going to end up enslaving you. And it might be a God of money. And that one comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. It could be the God of fame. It could be the God of beauty, the God of sex. It could be the God of power and security. Listen, every idol that you ever bow down to, it will end up capturing you. It will put you into a bondage that you cannot break out of in your strength. If you orient your life in pursuit of anything other than God, it's going to capture you. That's really the story of Genesis through Revelation. And you're going to find yourself, when you are worshiping and running after an idol and forsaking God, you're going to find yourself miserable, just like Israel. And you're going to cry out to the Lord, and you got to remember, this is why I'm telling you it now, that God is merciful when you cry out. He will hear you, and he will rescue you. And we're about to meet the one that God raises up to rescue Israel. She is our wonder woman. By the way, this is really amazing. Ladies, you've got to hear this. She's going to deliver Israel from the Canaanites. But her life is going to point to somebody, another deliverer, who is way greater than her. Because the way that she's going to deliver them is just a shadow. It's called a foreshadow of how Jesus will deliver you and Jesus will deliver me. And ladies, I want you to hear this. You can live in such a way. I'm going to give you four ways to do it. They're the beeps of the metal detector. I'm going to give you four ways that you can live in such a way that you point people not to you for your glory, but to Jesus who deserves all glory. We're going to see that four times in this story. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. He is the great deliverer. Ladies, you can live this way. Here we go. Ready? The first beep of the metal detector. Here it is. Deborah was a gifted woman of God. Now, ladies, I want you, this is a series that's really aimed at you. It's relevant to all of us. But it's really aimed to you. And girls, if you're younger, it's aimed to you too. Now, listen, here's the qualifying part of what I've got to tell you. If you have come to Jesus in faith, something miraculous happened to you. It's true for men, too, who are saved. But ladies, I really want you to hear this. The very moment you put your faith in in God through Jesus, that he died on the cross for you, that you cannot earn your salvation, that Jesus earned what you could not, he will freely give it to you, cry out to him in faith. The moment you did that, God put in you a supernatural gift. What that is is different than your personality. It is different than your talents, your raw talents. It's different than your natural abilities, although it may complement them. It's different from all of that. It is God's particular customized design that is going to enable you to do something you cannot do but in the power of God. A gift of the Spirit is a supernatural ability that when you walk with Him, you will do things you normally, autom- you normally could not do in your own power. 
So when I tell you that Deborah was a gifted woman of God, you're on the same playing field, ladies. You are gifted as well the very moment you put your faith in Jesus. God puts something in your life. It may be one gift, it may be three, it could be more, I don't know. But he puts something in your life to enable you to do something for him that you cannot do in your natural abilities. Look at verse 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess. I believe there's eight of these in the Bible, in the entire Bible, eight prophetesses. The wife of Lapido, so she was a wife. Some would say that word means woman. I think she's a wife. Was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So here we go. She's a gifted woman. She's a prophetess. You know what that means, right? Well, I don't really actually want to take for granted that you do, so let me define it for you. A prophet or a prophetess, in this case, spoke the words of God to his people so that they would know his will for the present and for the future. To prophesy was one of two things, and sometimes both. It was either forthtelling or foretelling. It was either explaining what God said, foretelling, or it was explaining what was going to happen in the future. That's foretelling. She did both. She is really gifted. There were other prophets that just did one or the other. God raised her up to do both. She seemed to function underneath that palm tree, kind of like Moses did when he was judging Israel. Here's an excerpt from the life of Moses, Exodus 18. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. The people, and he told Jethro, the people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. This is kind of what Deborah did, I think, actually very much what Deborah did. She, did, she settled disputes. The people of Israel, verse 5, came up to her for judgment. In other words, she was to judge cases, kind of like a judge does today. She's gifted by the Holy Spirit with wisdom, with discernment, with power, and she's trusted by the people. I mean, that's an, that's an amazing beep of the metal detector. I mean, you're starting to dig this out. You're going to see the whole picture of Deborah in a little bit. But the very first one we see is, you've got to agree with me, she's incredibly gifted. But it's going to beep again. You ready? Deborah was a courageous woman of God. Oh, she was courageous. Well, let me help you understand just how courageous she was. God had already commanded Israel to do something. Now, can you hear what I'm about to tell you? Because if you, if you, I think if you miss this, the whole courageous beep is going to fall flat. So you got to hear this. God had already commanded Israel Dispel all of the people from the land because this is your land that I have given to you. They did not do it. They disobeyed. They did not purge the people from the land. 
The military leaders of Israel had fallen into fear. 20 years. They allowed all of their weaponry to be taken away from them. They were paralyzed by fear. So we've got all of these men leaders. We've got all of these guys that are at the top echelon of the armies of Israel, and they are paralyzed by fright by the Canaanite people. All of those chariots. They forgot all those chariots that uh, the Pharaoh had when he pursued Israel through the Red Sea and how God brought the waters back over them and vanquished them without the Israelites lifting a sword. They forgot all about that. They were held in fear by Jabin and his power. But not Deborah. Ladies, I hope you're hearing this. She's full of faith. She is full of courage. And she galvanizes, in other words, puts a guy into action by the name of Barak to rise up and fight. She invites him to come. You're going to see it in a minute. Now, biblically, a woman rising up to judge the people of God was incredibly rare. It's the only time we ever see it, by the way, in the Bible. But man, ready, I'm going to talk to you now. I'm talking to me as well. I'm in the mirror. Ready, guys, listen to me. When men will not lead in courage and faithfulness, God will raise a woman up to do it for us. And it's actually to our indictment. When men will not lead, God will raise a woman up. This is as true in a family as it is in a church. And there are families all over Christendom where the man will not lead with courage and love and gentleness. He's paralyzed. Man, I'm going to ask you, are you leading your wives and your children well? And maybe, can I suspect, you're probably the worst person to answer that. Can you ask your wife? Can you ask your kids? Can you humble yourself and take that feedback? Can you ask your girlfriend, do I lead in this relationship well? I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of men in here I'm pretty sure are feeling a bit tense. This is an indictment on us. When men will not lead in courage and faith, God will raise a woman up to do it for us. And Deborah, it seems, will be doing the same thing with Barak. Look at what it says. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Ahinoam, from a very odd pronouncing place, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, rather, go gather your men and Mount Tabor, Taking 10,000, I want you to hear the details, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And what was Barak's response? Look at verse 8. He said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. That doesn't sound like leadership. That doesn't sound like glorious headship. It sounds like a man that's going to say, you know what, I'm not doing this without you. It sounds like a man hiding behind a woman. There, are, there is some speculation for why he would say this. Maybe he considered her the prophetess 
a good luck charm. You didn't want to go to war without her. Maybe because of the fog of war. You've heard of that phrase. You get into the midst of battle and you're not really sure all the time what to do. He wanted somebody that could talk to God and hear from God, a prophetess, to give immediate directions and instructions. What do we do, God? We're losing. The right flank's giving in. What do you want me to do? Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he envisioned her to be praying for Israel while the battle was going on, just like Moses prayed and Aaron and her held up his arms when they fought against the Amalekites. I don't know why he did this. Whatever the reason, he already was given. Now, you got to get this. He was already given every bit of information, all the details he needed to rise up and follow the commands of the Lord. He was told specifically how many to recruit, he was told from which tribe to recruit them. He was told to where, where to go to fight, what God is going to do in the battle. He was even promised what the outcome was going to be. He was given everything. Yet he would not go unless Deborah went as well. And so she agreed. You know, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember, but I don't recall. If, I, if I'm wrong in this, please, people come up and remind me after the message but i don't ever recall another time in scripture where a woman went out and led the battle deborah would and it's going to cost barak something look what she says to him in verse 9 this is her prophesying this is her foretelling and she said i will surely go with you nevertheless the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory barak for the lord will will sell sisera the commander of jabin into the hand of a woman and then deborah arose and went with barak to kadesh and barak called out zebulun and naphtali and kadesh and ten thousand men went up at his heels and deborah went with him she is full of courage by the way, look at the very next verse in verse 11. The story is going to take a bit of a detour. I mean, you're still walking on the beach, right, with that metal detector. All of a sudden, you kind of say, hey, I'm going to go that way for a minute. Well, that's kind of what the story does. Gives us a detail that's going to come into play after the battle. There's a man named Heber who's related to Moses. He's not part of Israel, but he's related to Moses through his wife, and he's going to defect from under Israel's protection because he's putting his chips on the Canaanites' winning hand. He thinks Israel's going to lose, so he aligns with Canaan, and he moves into their territory. He has a wife who's going to factor into the story, and she's going to be the second woman of courage that we're going to meet. We'll get back to her. Look at the third beep. You're back on track now. Metal detector goes off. Here it is again. Deborah was a faith-filled woman of God. Now I'm going to ask what is likely a very painful question to some of you ladies. Do you have somebody that you love that is in bondage and captivity? I mean, their lives are miserable. And you have experienced what every parent will experience sooner or later. It is utterly painful. You are absolutely helpless to deliver them. Bring that into the story because Israel had been captive for 20 years to the Canaanites. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's been captive to alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography. Maybe they will not come to Christ even though you've taught them to. 
And the longer that captivity goes on, the weaker that captive becomes, full of despair. Faith begins to fail, and you wonder, will God ever set this person free? Listen, if you're not careful, the devil is going to begin to disarm you, and you will lose hope. And there will be little fight in you with no realistic hope of victory. The Lord is asking you, ladies, I'm going to speak to you particularly. The Lord is asking you, will you step up? Will you lead in faith and fight for the one that you love in bondage? I want you to take courage from Deborah. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. Up, she says, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. She commands the army to fight. And they did. She has no doubt that God's going to win this victory against Jabin. Her faith is utterly contagious. Ladies, your faith-filled leadership can powerfully move others to trust in God as well. I mean, look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Look at how contagious it is. She sings a song that she and Barak wrote, and she writes in the second verse, the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Well, in chapter 4, nobody was leading. Nobody was offering themselves willingly, but because of her faith, it was contagious. Now Israel's rising up. You want to know what happened? Barak's army descends from Mount Tabor, which was militarily an absolutely horrible idea. You don't want to go down on level ground. That's where the chariots are. That's where the superior power of their weapons comes into play. But verse 20 of chapter 5, look what it says. It infers that the stars, which to Job was a reference to the angels of God, fights against the Canaanites. Look at verse 21, a great rainstorm floods the Kishon River in that plain. It overflows the river, and it renders that dusty dirt to mud, and the chariots are stuck. They're absolutely now useless. Look at verse 22, the horses go crazy. They start to stampede and kill the Canaanite soldiers. In all of this, it's the Lord fighting the battle. All the Israelites had to do was do mop-up duty. Sisera leaves his chariot. You got to go back to chapter 4, verse 14. He flees to the north. He's trying to get home. He goes right to the tent. Do you remember that Israel or that, uh, that Kenite that I told you put his cards on the Canaanite number? He had a wife named Jael. Jael invites Sisera, the commander-in-chief of Jabin's army. She says, hey, come into my tent. I'm going to hide you from the Israelites, which are pursuing you. She gives him a bowl of milk. He'd ask for water. She gives him milk. He falls asleep, exhausted. She picks up, oh, this is amazing. She picks up a tent peg and a hammer and drove it straight through his head into the ground and kills him. Now, ladies, that is one thing I am not trying to get you to do. I don't have time to bring out all the other incredible truths of the story. I hope you go back and read it. But there is a spiritual analogy in it that I need you to see. All of God's people have a Jabin. His name is Satan. And he is a tremendously powerful foe. And he moves against you and your spouse, your children, your family, your church, your nation. And if he has his way with you, he will put you into bondage. But Christian, you have been set free. Your victory was won at the cross of Christ. Amen? 
But I want you to see something that has trapped Christians just like it did Israel for millennium. They didn't fight to the finish. They left the enemy in their midst. And he disarms them, the enemy does, and he takes the joy out of their lives. Who's going to be a Deborah in Cornerstone? Who's going to be a Deborah in your family who will rise up for the ones you love? Well, I'm going to give you one more beat because you're going to see the fight to the finish that Deborah had. She was a no-quit woman of God. A no-quit woman of God. Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher once quipped, in politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. I kind of think there's a lot of truth in that. More, just as much with my wife. Deborah and Barak led Israel into battle. The Lord brought about a decisive victory, but the war was not done. Look what Deborah knew had to be done. Verse 23 of chapter 4. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. But now look at the next verse. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. That's pretty powerful. You see the principle? Ladies, you get a victory, don't quit. The war's still on. It's going to be on for the rest of your life. Because the devil wants your children. The devil wants your husband. The devil wants to destroy your church. And you've got to rise up with a no-quit mentality. I will not lay down my arms. And I will fight to the finish. And I will press harder and harder until my loved ones who are in bondage are completely free. So you might see victories that are sudden and overwhelming and amazing, but listen, the war's not won. And that war can sometimes rage on and on for years and decades. And the true Deborah character women, they've got a place now to shine. They will press until the final verse in the story can be uttered. Look at the final verse in chapter 5, verse 31. So may all your enemies perish, she sang, O Lord. But let your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might and the land had rest for 40 years. That's what Deborahs do. They don't get all excited about one victory. They give praise, they give thanks, and they press harder and harder. They love harder and harder. There's a no-quit, enduring love in them. How do you be like a Deborah? I'm going to give you four ways. It'll take me 45 seconds, and we're done. Speak the truth of God into the lives of those in bondage. Rise up, secondly, and lead with courage and call people to bold action. Third, call the ones in bondage to trust in God, and you go with them into the battle. And finally, don't ever quit until the war is over, and God leads you into rest. Amen? I want to pray for every lady in here that you would enjoy the character of Deborah in your own lives. Let's pray.